Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Good morning, ladies. We're going to go ahead and get started. I know not everybody's here. Good morning, everybody on live stream. Welcome. Hope you guys had as rich of a discussion as I had with my group this morning. This was some really interesting um, things that this, uh, that our homework brought out this week, and I, I hope you were blessed by it. Um, our call to worship today is from Psalm 3, which uh, hopefully you discussed in your homework this week. This is a psalm that David wrote when he was running from Absalom, and I find this particular part so compelling. So uh, let's, let's stand up and let's read this together. We'll think on these words for a few seconds and, and pray together. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Let's think on these words, particularly, I just love, I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who've set themselves against me. Arise, deliver me, God. So let's think on these words for a few seconds and I'll pray. God, we, we join our hearts with your servant David this morning. And just declare that you, O Lord, are a shield around us. You are our glory. You are the lifter of our head. And God, we, we so need our head to be lifted. Uh, we, we so often look down, focused on ourselves and our circumstances. But so often you've asked us to look up, to behold your glory. And so would you lift our heads through the power of your spirit? Would you focus our attention and our, our heart on you, Father, on your goodness, on your mercy, on your justice. Even as we read these difficult texts, God, we see you so merciful. We see you so sovereign over all these things. And, um, and God, we just want to worship you and rest in you together. So now we want to pray uh, your blessing and wisdom on our friend Colleen as you speak to her, through her to us. God, would you help us to uh, just put aside all the cares that we bring into this room uh, for the things that are ahead in our day, would you help us to just lay them down, to put our full attention on you and expect you to teach us something. We look forward, God, to what you will show us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to invite Colleen Palmer back up onto the stage and turn the microphone over to her. Good morning, ladies. Uh, we are nearing the end of our study of First and Second Samuel. It seems it was only a few short weeks that, ago that we were looking at Hannah in the first two chapters of First Samuel. If you remember that lesson, we looked at the different messages that Hannah was receiving. And as a matter of review this morning, I thought I would go through them and bear with me because I'm not used to these little things here. So I'm going to try. We're going to look at who Hannah listened to this morning. 
First of all, you remember that Penina, Hannah's rival, provoked Hannah by condemning her inability to bear children. And if you remember, the message was for Hannah that you are what? Not enough. You're not enough. You have not been able to bear children, so there's something wrong with you. And then from Elkanah, her husband, who always wanted to fix the situation as men do, he basically said, I will be enough for you. The world will be enough for you. And then the discouragement from Eli the priest, who misunderstood her fervor and condemned her for being, do you remember? Drunk, right, as she was pouring her heart out before the Lord. But finally and thankfully, the Lord's message came through to her that, remember, I am enough. God is enough. In visiting with women and listening to their stories, I usually share that the messages we deal with in our everyday lives originate from three sources, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you see this on our slide here. The world usually says, let's see, let's go back to that. The world, let me just tell you this. (laughs) The world usually says, I don't, you don't have to do that. Whatever God's telling you to do or whatever action, you don't have to do that. And then our flesh pipes up and says, well, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing that. And then the enemy of our souls hasn't changed much from when he told Eve, has God really said that you can't do that? Surely he's holding out on you. In Hannah's case, it would appear that Penina gave voice to the enemy, who we know from Scripture is the accuser of the brethren, constantly condemning and casting doubt on God's provision. And Elkanah was saying, as the world often does, that the world's provisions will be enough to satisfy. Since the main character in this week's lesson is David's son, Absalom, I thought it might be helpful to follow this line of questioning. What were the messages that Absalom was hearing? Where were they coming from? How did these messages play into, let's go back here, how did these messages play into his tragic life story? We pick up in chapter 15 with Absalom after he has returned to Jerusalem. You remember from last week's lesson that Absalom had murdered Amnon, his brother, who had raped Tamar, Absalom's sister, and then fled to Geshur. Truly, there's a lot of dysfunction and pandemonium in the palace. And although it says that David mourned for Absalom, there had obviously not been any attempts to rectify these horrendous acts or to rebuild any relationship between them. David's lack of involvement in his children's lives had fostered anger, resentment, perhaps the message that I don't matter He doesn't have time for me. Where is my father when I needed him? We see that Absalom comes to believe that since his father did not address the rape of Tamar, he would have to take matters into his own hands. And as we will see, this message begins to run very deeply for Absalom. But it's a common theme in our world. It's good to be independent. Depend on no one. People will disappoint you. 
We can't depend on God. He won't come through for me. Personally, I have struggled with this message my whole life to the point that my family (laughs) has repeatedly called me the little red hen. Anybody know the little red hen story? (laughs) Some of you do, I can tell. The little red hen, in case you don't remember, wanted to bake some bread. But she needed help in harvesting the wheat, grinding the grain, kneading the dough, baking the loaf. She goes to her friends in the barnyard, the pig, the cow, the horse, the sheep, to ask for help. They're too busy or too lazy or maybe they don't care enough to assist her. So she goes home to do what, ladies? Do it herself. Right. Of course, when the smells of the freshly baked bread waft through the barnyard, the absentee helpers show up. Any little red hens out there? (laughs) As I was thinking about this story and the message that it sends, interestingly, the Lord dropped a forgotten memory just out of the blue into my brain. And I've learned that when that happens, God is wanting to put his finger on something that needs to be healed and redeemed. The memory revolved around something that happened when as a teenager I was put in a position of meeting my own needs. My mother's job was quite demanding and I was often alone during those years. One such time was a result of being a majorette in the band, quite the honor and one I was proud of, but There was the requirement of multiple outfits for the games, parades, contests that required tailoring and sewing. My mom was an excellent seamstress but told me in no uncertain terms that she did not have time for that. And there were no extra funds to have them made. I was embarrassed when I had to ask help from my best friend's mom who was sewing hers. I did not know how to sew, but I determined to learn and to never be put in that position again. I can still see mom's machine as I sat down and tried to figure out how to thread the needle, how to cut out the pattern. I would not depend on anyone but me from then on. My mother was a loving and kind woman. If she had known what I was thinking, she would have been devastated. But ladies, the enemy knew And he would use that in my life. And he has. I began to believe that I was not worth someone's time. I began to believe that I had to meet my own needs. I I began to believe that I did not need to be vulnerable with my needs again. These were not healthy messages for a young woman. But we see that same message play out in Absalom's life as he sets himself up with chariots and horses, 50 men to run before him, the scripture says. Psalm 27 says that some trust in chariots, some in horses, but the psalmist declares that he will remember the name of the Lord our God. But Absalom does not consider God at this point as he continues to meet his own needs. He deceitfully endears himself to the people who came through the gate wanting justice. Oh, that I were made judge in the land. I would give you justice. And it says that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Even his physical appearance had become a point of pride as we see the admiration earlier in chapter 14. Do you remember? 
from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Scripture says there was no blemish in him. And ladies, his hair. (laughs) Think Fabio. Remember the I can't believe it's not butter commercial of the 80s or 90s? Not sure exactly. The teaching team tried to remind me of when this uh, appeared, and I had to go and search to remember what Fabio looked like. And my husband said, oh, no, Middle Eastern men didn't look like that. They had dark hair. (laughs) But you'll never think of Absalom in the same way again. Back to Absalom. Scripture says he didn't cut his hair except once a year when it would weigh 200 shekels. I don't know how many pounds that is. Some of you might know. But on our chart, we could add the voices of the world to what Absalom is listening to. You could be king. You're so good looking. And you're so good at what you do. The world loves you. Mingled with his own prideful flesh, ambition began to take root. And the enemy whispers, your dad isn't really the best choice now. God will understand. He wants you to be happy and successful. He's still telling us that, right? God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be successful. Sounds like the voice that Jesus heard when Satan took him up on the mountain and said he could be ruler if he would just bow down to him. Revenge, unforgiveness, murder, Ambition, they've succeeded in sending Absalom down the slippery slope of sin's destruction. I want to be sure for us today that in looking at the voices Absalom heard and the understanding of his family dysfunction, we are not saying that he did not have a choice or that these situations gave him license to sin. He could have chosen another path at any time. Understanding why and having compassion for these people, anybody, doesn't excuse sin. Ladies, we're not victims of our past, of our upbringing, our belief systems. We always have a choice. just want to make sure. We try to understand where people are coming from. We try to, to see that they're believing such and such, but it never gives license to sin. We always have that choice. I do think it's interesting that even as he tells David he wants to go back to Gesher to pay a vow that he's made, he says, if the Lord brings me back, then I will serve the Lord, putting conditions on following God, as if this will make up for the sin. We never see him repent like we saw David last week in Psalm 51. In fact, We see Absalom sinking to a new level as he listens to the demonic voice of Ahithophel. I truly believe, ladies, that sin unconfessed gives Satan a stronger foothold from which to operate. The ladies in my group and I were talking this morning, and and they're young, so they don't remember the vacuum cleaner salesman, but y'all, some of y'all do. The vacuum cleaner salesman would come to the door, and it could have been any kind of salesman, but they would come to the door, and you would open it, and they would say, could I show you something? And you'd say, no, not today. And then they would kind of push a little bit. Well, let me just show you this little thing. 
And then before long, they got the toe in the door, and then you'd open the door, and you were watching the, the demonstration, and you were buying into this. You were thinking, hmm, this might be really nice. I could, I could use this on my floors, on my upholstery. Wow, this would make life easier. And so you begin to believe the lies. But you haven't signed on the dotted line yet. And if you were me, you wouldn't sign on the dotted line because you would, your husband would not be very happy with you. But I have seen over the years how women have signed on the dotted line with the enemy. They have bought the, bu- the bill of goods. And because we buy into his lies, not just believe them, but buy into them, we have a contract that he can begin to extract payment from. So, ladies, I would say if you find yourself bought, buying into his contract, that you need to say, Jesus will deliver me from this. I will tear up this contract that I've made of lies that I have bought into. And he is my redeemer. Just that little tidbit of how I have associated the vacuum cleaner salesman with, um, with the lies that we believe. In fact, we see Absalom sinking to that level, that the more he believed the lies, the deeper he went. As he listens to the demonic voice of Ahithophel, um, go into your father's concubines that were left to keep the house. Do you remember how they pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house? And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. The blasphemous betrayal of his father shows the depravity to which Absalom had sunk. Thus, the coup begins and David leaves the city. We hear another interesting voice. From one of Saul's relatives. Shimei not only throws literal stones, but begins a barrage of cursing and condemnation, reminding David of all his sins. And even though we see David's reliance on God as he leaves the city in Psalm 3 that we just read, as he states that the Lord is a shield about him, the glory and lifter of his head, one of my favorite verses, we wonder why does he allow this attack to continue? God had promised blessing, not cursing. God had told him his kingdom would never be taken away. In fact, it would be an everlasting one, and his sin, though it would bring dire consequences, would be forgiven, and he would be washed with hyssop, made whiter than snow, as Suzanne shared last week from Psalm 51. Have you ever been there? Where have you, when you've forgotten the promises of God? Good reason to study, ladies, and know God's word so that when the enemy slithers up, as he will, to start throwing those verbal rocks, you will be able to recognize the word of God contrasted with the voice of the enemy. In our marriage classes, we often share that false guilt and shame are the devil's calling card. But there are ways to discern the difference in God's conviction and Satan's condemnation. When we have sinned, the Holy Spirit, because it's his job, shows up. That's what he does. If we're bought uh, by the blood of Christ, if we're spirit-filled, blood-bought children of the living God, the Holy Spirit will show up when we sin. He begins to to very gently and specifically point out our sin and what we should do about it. On the other hand, 
Satan shows up with general statements that sound like, I can't believe you did that again. You'll never change. They will never change. There really is no hope for your marriage, your children, whatever. You're a loser as a parent, as a wife. Maybe, are you really even a Christian? And on and on and on, as long as we will let him. I would tell you this morning, ladies, you don't have to listen to that. I don't even want us to, <laughs> as we were talking in our group about why did, why did David allow um, Shimei to keep talking to him like that. It was almost as if he felt like he had to pay some penance for maybe the sin that he had committed. I, we don't know. But this is how I have learned to respond. You know, Satan, you're right. Thank you for reminding me that without Christ, I would be that dirty, rotten sinner that you say that I am. But Jesus, praise God, has delivered me, sanctified me, filled me, filled me with his spirit. And I don't have to listen to your lies because of his authority, his blood and the cross. So leave now in Jesus' name. may take practice in saying this, and I always say out loud, Because Satan can't read our minds. You can't say it to yourself. You say it to him out loud. But he can hear your um, professions of faith. But he also delights in jumping on your pronouncements of fear, anxiety, and shame. I have copies of a... um, a list that a lady gave us, a friend of mine, gave several sessions ago to our group here at, uh, in Bible study to recognize the voice of the enemy as opposed to the voice of God. They are so good. Let me read them for the group that doesn't have them at home. God's voice stills, stills us. Satan's voice rushes us. I think I have, yeah, there we are. God's voice leads us. And Satan's voice pushes us. God's voice reassures us. Satan's voice frightens us. God's voice enlightens us. Satan's voice confuses us. God's voice encourages us. Satan's voice is always a discouraging voice. God's voice comforts us. Satan's voice worries us. Calms us. Obsesses us. You can see the difference. Convicts us, as I said earlier. Condemns us. We need to be able to recognize the difference. We need to be able to hear the voice and say, this is not coming from God. That's what we talked about with Shimei. That was not coming from God. That was not uh, what, what, the, uh, what David should be listening to. Here's a side note to parents. Teach your children what to do with their shame. They will sin. I realized several years ago that I had not taught my children this concept. And so I began to tell my children to teach their children to talk to them about when they fail. They will all fail. They will all make mistakes. They will sin. They're sinners. We're a fallen uh, world. But it's up to us to tell them what to do with their shame. Instead of berating them for their failures, tell them how to take their failures to the cross. Because that is why Jesus came to take away our shame. Otherwise, shame will cause them to pull away, to hide. It will drive them away from Christian friends and from their parents. It will do the same thing it did to Eve and Adam in the garden. It will cause them to hide. 
Sadly, there's no indication that Absalom ever turned to the Lord to seek his voice. He is remembered for the division, the destruction of his father's kingdom, whereas our original character, Hannah, is remembered for her prayers and godly influence over the child who would call God's people to repentance. But you do remember Hannah's prophetic prayer that reminds us the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. It would seem that her words find fulfillment in Absalom's tragic death, which comes as David's men pursue his son and kill him as he is caught in the boughs of the terebinth tree. How ironic that those beautiful curls that we saw earlier (laughs) were the very instrument that caused his death. We can't help but hear the gut-wrenching cries of David on hearing of his son's death. Oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died in your place. As we know, David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. And in this painful moment, I can hear God's heart cries of grief over my sin, your sin. Because, ladies, we're all Absalom. We're all Absalom. We've all, it says, Scripture says that like sheep, we have all gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We have listened to the wrong voices. As parents, we've also most likely experienced the despair and disappointment of our own children's choices and consequences, of broken relationships, dysfunctional families, and we could end here on a note of hopelessness today. But ladies, here's the good news. As King David lamented over Absalom and wished that he could have died in his place, we have a king who did die in our place. David's kingship was insufficient. But in God's perfect plan, the king he foreshadowed is so sufficient. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not die, but have eternal life. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Let's pray. Father God, it is with incredible gratitude and thankfulness that we come, thanking you for... um, Sending your son to die for us when we were so caught up in our sin. Father, I pray that these women would hear your voice. That they would reject the lies of failure. They would reject the lies of the enemy that says that they can set up their own kingdom. That they don't need anyone. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin and allow us to repent quickly so that we don't go down that path that Absalom did. Lord, let this be a a lesson that we don't forget. Let this be a, a message that we take about shame and what to do with it, to take it to the cross. Father, I pray that you would be glorified and that your message 
would go forth that you've given. In Jesus' name, amen.